This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a team of plant people known as Refugia is growing connection among places and people with their beautifully designed native plant gardens. We're joined today by Refugia founder Jeff Lawrence, by their stewardship manager Esther Scanlon, by lead project manager Ronnie Ludwig, and by Melissa Nays, Refugia's lead landscape designer and greenhouse manager. Esther, Jeff, Ronnie, and Melissa join us today to share more about the process and ethos of Refugia as they design, create, and help to steward functional landscapes that are ecologically beneficial, beautiful, and resilient. Welcome to you all. I'm so pleased to be speaking with you today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So I, you know, I want to start off with what I would like to use as an abstract foundation for the rest of our conversation. And I want to get started with you, Esther. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your mission statement for your work at Refugia and with plants. Thanks. Yeah. My name's Esther. I'm 28. I'm the head of landscape stewardship, which I really consider to be all about relationships. Um, We go back to that a lot. I think um, our relationship to each other as a team, to the land that we're working with, um, with the people that inhabit the land, and then between all of those influences. Uh, Landscape stewardship is... um, always out in the field and we're essentially coaxing along these our design native landscapes into becoming established plant communities at each unique site and we're always intending to connect people to the living landscape that they're living in and um, we do that kind of through creative communication and based on people's unique interests yeah nice I like it Jeff, what about you? My name is Jeff Lorenz. I'm the founder of Refugia. I am 44 years old. And uh, from a very young age, I spent a lot of time in the woods. Um, I've always felt like very connected to my uh, surroundings in the forest. Um, and so I think that the thing that really hit me the most um, when I was doing uh, uh, traditional landscaping was that um, it did feel like very human centric, like kind of imposing a landscape on the land. And, um, and I've always kind of had an, uh, an issue, not necessarily a bad one, but just feeling this kind of a dualistic separation of humans and their, and the environment being like separated and, um, and, uh, and, and always kind of craving this connectivity between things. Like I, I think I do that in like, well, a musician and a, and a writer as well. And I, I see these like common themes come up for me. It's always like trying to like create, um, it's like that sense of interconnectedness. And so I saw just this powerful opportunity to um, kind of help reclaim all of this um, land that has been kind of, has been manhandled hmm. using the plants that grow here and still being able to do it in a, you know, in a stylized manner when needed. Um, but there's just, there's, there's a lot of fun within that too. And a lot of creative energy that can go into it. Um, it's kind of fun working with a limited palette of plants, for instance, 
Um, and, and then just like, just, it's just like a really amazing tool for, uh, kind of the environmental, um, change or the reactivation of, of static landscapes that I think is so important for us moving forward in, in helping to kind of change the status quo of landscaping and gardening. Yeah, I like it. There are a couple, a couple of ideas I really want to follow up on in there. The word manhandled being one of them, but we will come back around to that uh, and reactivation being the other. Um, let's move to you, Ronnie. Tell us about uh, your personal mission statement and role there at Refugia. My name is Ronnie Ludwig. I'm 32 years old. Uh, my role in the company is lead project manager. Ultimately, um, that includes implementing the design plans that we produce uh, for our clients, including planting, hardscape, and subcontractor work. I have a education in landscape architecture, and I have five years of military experience uh, from my past. Uh, my personal mission is to ultimately feel really great fulfillment in my daily work and to spark joy in my fellow human while making the earth a better place. Um, much like Jeff, I spent a lot of my childhood outdoors in the woods, and I, I, I feel most refreshed and happy when I'm in those, those spaces, the outdoors, and I hope to bring that to um, our clients' landscapes as well. Nice. And Melissa, to you. Hi, my name is Melissa Nace. I'm 36 years old um, and I am the lead landscape designer at Refugia. Um, my role is primarily working with the clients to implement their goals for the space and helping them introduce native plants often for the first time uh, into their landscapes. Um, as Esther mentioned, our work is really uh, relationship and communication heavy. So those are our two focuses in the business. And um, my work is to try to foster those relationships and help the clients translate their desires into a plan. Yeah. I, I love some of the big themes that are already coming up here. Um, and, you know, this idea, which I think just is is both ubiquitous in our in our gardening world today, but also very specific to each of us. And that is this idea of being contributors and being relational. And um, I hear that so strongly in each of the things you all have said. You know, I'd love to give listeners a little bit of background on each of you. Uh, and maybe I'll just go in reverse order and, and tell me a little bit about, you know, where you were raised, and if there were, you know, really powerful formational people or places or plants in your early life that think that you you think led you to be a person for whom these would be really meaningful um, ideas and actions in your in your adult life, and maybe where where you did your training to get here. Let's start with you, Melissa. Yeah, so I grew up um, in a rural area of Pennsylvania um, and often playing in the woods. Um, but I, I think I took those spaces for granted um, when I was younger. And it wasn't until I actually moved away um, and went to AmeriCorps that I think 
um, something switched for me and I actually took much more notice of the landscape around me and the community that I was in. Um, for me, the, the most transformational project with AmeriCorps um, was working in Big Bend National Park wow. and doing um, trail work there with their uh, trail team. And so we were just immersed. Um, we lived in tents for uh, three to four months that we were there um, and worked in the landscape every day. So it was kind of hard to, hard to ignore it at that point. And it was such a different landscape than the, the Pennsylvania landscape um, that it was just uh, really intriguing and interesting. Um, and after that um, program, I uh, transitioned into pursuing an environmental studies degree. So um, that was really the turning point for me. And so was it from your environmental studies degree that you went on to do uh, like a landscape design or did you come to that in a more kind of self-taught way? Um, it was a little bit more roundabout. My actually, my undergrad degree is in fashion design, um, so there's a little bit of a design background there. And then um, after I received my environmental studies degree, I worked for the Schuylkill Center for Environmental Education. Um, they're in the northwest part of the city, and so it's 350 acres of woodlands there. Um, and so that was really when I. Um, started to learn more about the details of the specific plants and the cultural requirements of native plants. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in charge of running the, um, running the native plant nursery there and um, a land stewardship program there. Nice. And how long have you been with Refugia? Um, this is going on year five. Nice. I believe. Nice. And um, for listeners who may not be familiar with the idea of Big Bend, uh, it is one of our large uh, national, I think it's a national monument, maybe. Maybe it's a national park. Can you tell us that, Melissa, if it's a... Yeah, it's a national park. And uh, and it's in Texas, and it couldn't be any more different than Pennsylvania in terms of um, climate and plant uh, occurrence and lushness. Uh, it's almost desert versus wet woodland, uh, almost, you know, kind of rainforesty. And, um, so I like that, uh, you know, kind of learning to see your original landscape by being in one that's incredibly different in many ways. Uh, would that be a fair assessment, Melissa? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. As soon as I, um, came back to the, uh, Northeast part of the country, um, I really just started looking at the woods in a whole different light. And so it turned out the woods that I grew up in were like a really invaded, um, like post agricultural woodland, um, as opposed to like the intact, um, different parts of the state. So it was interesting. Uh, and let's go, let's go to you, Ronnie. Um, you know, the same question, where, where were you raised and were you, you mentioned really being, um, compelled by the forests and woods of your youth and were there other formative ones you'd want to share or educational pathway that brought you to refugia and this moment in time? I was raised in uh, northern New Jersey. It was a suburb of New York City. Um, it's very similar to the area that we uh, do business in right now, uh, a suburb of Philadelphia. I 
uh, was experienced to kind of sterile and traditional gardening in my neighborhood growing up. However, the property that I grew up on was gardened by my grandfather. And while he was an avid gardener, he had very little method to his madness. Uh, so it was a very sprawling, wild property with a woodland uh, on one edge. And I spent a lot of my childhood playing out in the woods, um, just kind of getting lost amongst uh, the overgrown parts of the garden and uh, feeling this uh, sense of, of, of kind of hiding um, and playing in that space. Moving on, I, I have some military experience. Right, yeah. And uh, that gave me some unique perspectives. I was a paratrooper with the Army, and I jumped out of airplanes. And um, so a lot of time examining aerial maps and then following through and actually walking the ground mm. from those maps. And I feel like that also gave me a, a unique perspective in how I, I see the landscape. And after my military experience, I went to Temple University in Philadelphia for landscape architecture and studying some of those theories um, and having that design background helped explain some of the things I, I've been seeing my whole life or maybe examine them in a, a new way. And uh, I've been with the company for, for just over two years. And uh, yeah, a lot of my life experiences has led me to where I am today. Yeah, I love that. Um perspective the you know of the of the military and exactly what you did there being so informative uh or informing to to what you do now and how you look at it and um that's great uh and what about i'm going to go to you esther T tell us about how you got here um i came to refugia about three or four years ago uh in a non-linear way ultimately um i met i met jeff through a community of, um, of families whose, whose kids I was looking after. Um, somewhere, somewhere in there, I started looking after uh, refugia landscapes and I've been with the company since. Um, I was also a kid playing in the woods. Uh, there was this kind of enchanting and undetermined land that my, uh, that my home backed up to it had a ravine and a stream that I would kind of trace to, well, as far as I could go to get lost and then follow it back home. Um, it wasn't, I, I hadn't considered working in this field until I was totally disenchanted with my studies in critical art theory. And someone suggested to me that I should work for plants. Nice. I like that advice. I think we should all work for plants. Mm -hmm. So Jeff, let's come to you. And I first would love you uh, to, to tell us anything you would like to add to what you already gave us of your earlier, you know, important directionals from, from woodlands and sort of your own disenchantment with conventional landscaping. And then, you know, uh, once through that, I want you to go to the idea of the name of Refugia itself and a little bit of the, the, the timeline and history for why you founded it in the way that you founded it. So growing up, my father uh, was a um, environmental consultant and um, he was kind of, you know, at the forefront of 
kind of dealing with super fun sites, et cetera. I would catch like wind of little things he was working on from time to time. He would tell me about it. And I remember uh, for like a science fair class in like third grade or something like that, doing, uh, doing a piece on global warming. And, uh, and this would have been in like maybe like 84 or something, uh, 85, somewhere in there. Um, it was definitely something no one had any idea what I was talking about, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was kind of cool. Like think back that, um, you know, my dad had kind of like, you know, talked to me about that when I was, uh, very young and he definitely had a, a, a very strong influence on not just myself, but my sisters are, I have three younger sisters. Um, they're all involved in some capacity in, um, the environmental movement. And so it's kind of cool. Uh, my dad also founded um, the uh, master's program for sustainable engineering at Villanova. And um, he's one of our advisors at Refugia. So I, I can't go very far without <laughs> giving him major props for um, having a, a, a very strong influence on me. And as well, uh, my uncle, Nazareno, who is a, um, he's a horticulturalist in, uh, in Charlottesville. And he, he had definitely the most influence on me when I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do in my twenties and thirties. Um, I definitely have always had a penchant for, um, art and creativity, um, primarily with, um, music and writing, but I found a lot of solace in working in the landscape. And I just could never make up my mind. I was either doing, I always used to joke that I was either doing like music or plants and I would just ping pong back and forth for a while <laughs> until I finally decided um, as I became a uh, kind of inadvertently became a, uh, a sound designer for theater. And I remember quite clearly like working on this one show where, um, you know, my, it was my job to create, you know, environmental sounds inside a theater to make you feel like you're outside and um and write music as well to like make this whole thing kind of come together and feel like a certain space and uh i was in i was in tech for this show for like a week and it was beautiful out every day and i'm stuck in this black box making <laughs> environmental sounds to make everyone in the audience feel like they're outside. And I was like, you know, I think I just really want to be outside for as much <laughs> as I love the creativity here for as much as it's like, it's kind of pulling all of my skill sets. It just didn't sit right. And so I was like, all right, um, I'm done. I want to take the same sensibility and put it to use. And, and so I, you know, I just kind of made that decision to like start to move back towards plants. Um, and this time it's stuck. And uh, I just remember my uncle, for instance, like was always, a, 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 we were very close. I would call him for, for sure a kindred spirit. And um, even when I was young, he, I remember being on a camping trip with him and my cousin Jason in the uh, Shenandoah National Park. And I like picked up this leaf and I think I made a joke about it. It was like, oh, this looks like a cat head. And he goes, well, that's a tulip poplar, man. And then he started telling me about, you know, like the, the ecology of the trees and the forest there. And it was just like this, it's just like, I remember this it, very clearly. And it just, you know, he, he and I used to talk quite a lot about um, 
gardening and plants that we liked. I mean, he was a major influence even when I started the business, just kind of like ping-ponging ideas off of him because he'd done something very similar down in, in Charlottesville. And I always liked his approach. He was just very hands-off. Like he, he didn't want to disturb the landscape. He kind of wanted to work with it, even in his like vegetable gardening. He never turned the soil. He was always just like, he was like a lasagna gardener. You know, he would just, it was, it was like, it was all about the compost, man. And that was his thing. It was just like very, just kind of like let nature do its thing. Um, and so that definitely had a very profound effect on me. And um, the other person who I want to mention is uh, Jim Plyler uh, from Natural Landscapes uh, down in Jennersville, Pennsylvania. And he is also the brother-in-law of Doug Tallamy. And he has this beautiful field-grown uh, native plant nursery that I have been going to for about 18 years. And uh, there's just nobody that I know <laughs> who has the, the wealth of knowledge that he does and also just like this kind of exceptional eye for um, just plucking these very interesting native plants out of especially the mid-Atlantic and Southeast. Um, a lot of plants that are grown from seed, all these various crazy uh, native azaleas, deciduous azaleas. Um, massive pawpaw trees like it's just it's a magical place to go and um you know when I, he's definitely been a muse for me and the and the the, the uh, nursery itself when we need like a little bit of like spark of creativity you have to go down to to gyms and um and get inspired this is cultivating place Refugia is an ecological and native plant-driven design-build landscape team in Pennsylvania. Four members of the Refugia team are with us today, sharing more about their visions for well and highly designed landscapes, bringing people and purpose together. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more with Refugia. Hey, it's Jennifer. So here are the phrases that imprinted on my brain as I listened to this conversation with this team of ecologically minded plant people. Quote, reactivate static landscapes, end quote. And, quote, communication and relationship, end quote. These are the kinds of ideas that this team of people is thinking about. And these phrases come together in my mind as this. It is through communication and relationship that we can help to reactivate, re-enliven static or wounded lands and their processes. And to me, this is gardening with a capital G at its most garden-hearted. We're back now to our conversation here on Cultivating Place with Jeff, Esther, Ronnie, and Melissa, the land and plant people of Refugia, a landscape design and build group from Narbeth, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. The team is back with us now to share more about what it means and looks like to create functional landscapes that are ecologically beneficial, beautiful, and resilient. You know, so uh, maybe I will kick this to to Esther now. And, you know, based on 
your role in communication and land stewardship and relationship building with these gardens, with these clients, you know, describe the process of refugia and what that looks like in practice. Mm. Well, I think especially in this year, our definition of our mission statement um, has expanded a lot we really want to increase the likelihood that people will live in their landscape and Mm -hmm. live in the landscapes that they have dreamt up with us. Um, There are great markers and ways to measure increases in biodiversity, which is something that we love to see. And even like remediated stormwater management issues, those are all great and kind of natural functions of an ecological landscape which comes out of knowing the plants well through the seasons and implementing them in the right, in the right place. But I just love our, our landscapes for their immeasurable offerings of sustenance to um, migratory species and refuge for really fragile beings. And I also love the landscapes that invite activity, especially for kids. Uh, this year we had a little girl have a huge role in seeding a meadow. Mm-hmm. And in the spring, she got to see it emerge like a miracle and was so stoked that um, that was her doing, you know, and later in the, later in the summer that that meadow kind of offers softness in the heat of summer. Um, and now it's, uh, it's also an edible, there are a lot of edible native plants incorporated. So during this time of year, they're kind of making making teas and spreading blackberry jam on their on their toast and really experiencing the um, medicinal benefits of plants too. So landscapes that inspire through all the seasons, I think, help me see what where the success is lying and how it's evolving with them. Yeah. And as inhabitants. Yeah. And those seem like really um I mean, there are so many different ways we can, um, you know, measure uh, a garden or measure success. Um, but those seem like, you know, joy and interaction and um, food and agency all seem like pretty valuable metrics. Yeah, I, I think a lot about there's a chapter in Robin Wall Kimmer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass, where she describes the kind of like uncanny mutualism between the goldenrod and the asters, how they're so complementary, and um, maybe they're increasing the amount of pollinators that visit them because of, um, because of their colorful contrast. And she describes a lot of things that are untranslatable by science. So I think as a company, um, we think a lot about those really unique experiences that that you can have in a landscape that aren't necessarily scientific, but they're uniquely for, for the inhabitant. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you, Ronnie, think about um, the exact process that you go through with any one client, walk us through what that process is and, and how you as a team maybe, or you specifically, like almost 
educate and engage any client to be on this same plate, you know, or, or I, in this same mindset with you? That's a, a really great question. And uh, I find myself to be a very client-facing member of the team. And aside from ensuring that the planned design of, of our um, landscapes is implemented appropriately, I think ensuring that our, our clients are, are very happy with the product that we create, that it's achieving all these goals that they requested from us and having that satisfaction helps bolster support in our community and uh, it keeps our mission going strong to continue to plant natives. So uh, I, I find it a very important role in, in ensuring that. Yeah. So let's move to you, Melissa. Walk, walk us through the process you go through to help design something that this, you know, any one client is going to say, oh, that is beautiful. That makes me so happy, but also fulfills this, this idea of um, an, an environmentally integrated, you know, water pollinator, climate appropriate kind of space. Yeah, I, I think... I like to approach the um, design um, with a really, with a focus on listening, I think is a really important piece of it. Um, of course, we, just by being on site with the client, we can um, typically just get a feel for how they use the space um, and walking the space with them is a really important step in um, learning more about that part of it. Um, in turn, I don't know. Maybe Sorry. walk us through. No, no. I, I, I think I'm giving you a really, you know, I'm, I'm making a, a, what is a fairly concrete question way too abstract. Walk me through the process you went through with your last client design. Like they came to you, they said, I want X, Y, Z. Where do you go from there to also get to a garden design, landscape design that, that meets the ethos of refugia. And, and Melissa, sorry. Yeah, like, no. I think one of the things that really sets it, like, sets us apart is that we are using natives, like strictly using natives primarily to the mid-Atlantic, but we, we really have like a high design as, as yeah. well. Like yeah. from our, our planning designs to our landscape designs. And I want to like make sure that we focus on that, that that's one of the things that we're trying to use um, you yeah. know, it's not, we're not, it doesn't necessarily just look like a wild space, which is kind of like what people normally associate kind of like native landscapes as being kind of wild or like really tiny little plants that someone put in their front yard to try to make a rain garden or something. And our places look very different from that. And so that is, uh, that is one of your requirements is that you will only use natives to the broad region of the mid-Atlantic? Um, I think we primarily use plants that are native to the mid-Atlantic region. I would say probably 90%. Mm -hmm. We definitely borrow some plants from the Midwest that are kind of heavy hitters um, that do really well. Uh, one that comes to mind is Amsonia hubertii. Um, but primarily 90%, I would say we're using mid-Atlantic natives. Let's move to you, Jeff. When who does the first? Who does the initial like conversation when a client calls in and says, "I've had you really highly recommended to me." 
um, what, uh, who, who does the next step? Uh, that's my job. Okay, Jeff, so walk me to, through I this process. The, <laughs> sure. So, so, um, you know, long story short, um, I'll go out and visit with the client. Um, when we first started the business, we used to get a lot of calls from people that maybe had seen one of our projects and liked the, and liked the aesthetic, didn't realize that they were looking at a native landscape. Nowadays, which is a really exciting trend. And I think um, it speaks also to like, this is one of those like silver linings of what's come out of the, um, of the, the pandemic over the last year is that people have been spending more time in their landscapes. They've had more time to kind of like experience the nature around them um, when it's successful. And so we're a lot of our, and, and, and through the efforts of like people like Doug Talamy, um, we're seeing people come to us already a bit more educated. So they would, they're interest, interested already in a native landscape, but we always get those people like kind of to your point, like I'd really like to use some old fashioned roses or something in my property. Um, and I usually get those questions on the first site visit. And, and so my job is to say, okay, well, um, you know, and I, I might even just mention well, looking at the aesthetic of the, 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 you know, the stone on your mid-century modern house or your, you know, turn of the century house or whatever it might be, you know, we've got some amazing native plants, um, like shrubs in particular, that would be a great accent point that gives you a sense of place, uh, you know, to this area that would really complement the architecture of your property. And I kind of, not to say I sidestep the rose question, but I, I just get them excited about an alternative without even having to talk about the fact that we don't use roses. Um, I try to steer that. Yeah. And I think in this moment, you know, I had a, a really, I had a great interview with Doug Tallamy, um late last summer, which aired last week, last week being when we are speaking now, not when this will air. But, you know, and one of, one of the things that is clear is we are at this, a, a very interesting supply and demand moment in the landscaping world of this concept of ecological landscaping really coming into uh, more of a mainstream spotlight right before there are actually enough ecological landscapers um, available to people. And so this this collective um, informing our the the general public about what it means and what it looks like and you know what what is possible with it, I think is happening at the same time that we're trying to train these people out in the field. And I think that's one of the, one of the things I really love about your firm is that you are super excited about the alternative because you, you know, both about, uh, the, what conventional landscape is, and you have a clear vision of what ecological landscape is, and it's in practice in force right now where you are. And, um, this, you know, it goes, I think, back to one of one of the phrases you used in your very first answer to me, Jeff, uh, about your mission statement for yourself there, and this idea of the fun of working with a limited palette. And the, there is, there's sort of two interesting sides to me in that phrase, one being that Limits are okay. Limits are good. We, we do not have to have every single thing available to us all the time, everywhere. Um, and at the same time, 
the palette of our native spaces is so much more unlimited than we actually, most people understand it to be, right? And it is, as Melissa was saying, and and you, Jeff, like, if you, if the, the thought old rose comes into your mind and you are knowledgeable enough to say, there are these six blooming shrubs that will feed and house your birds and these butterflies and they live, they've co-evolved here. Um, like, that is such a, a great way to handle this conversation. Um, sorry, I got on my soapbox there. But I, you know, one of the things I would love if each of you have the kind of take a moment to think about this in your, whatever your years are in this work there at Refugia. And, and I think Esther already got us started on this in terms of you know, that one little girl helping to, you know, in the time of COVID, helping to seed a wildflower meadow and then living with and growing with that meadow over the summer. And just the magic and agency of that is phenomenal. If each of you had a story of one client that you had one of these epiphany moments with over the years, I would love for you to think about that and then share it with us kind of as a, an inspiration to other people in other regions um, for, for what is truly possible in this transformative moment. In addition to the landscape I already told you about, um, another client really comes to mind. Um, his landscape is about six years old and it sits in a neighborhood that's really just uh, full of static landscapes that are just kind of skip laurels and highly maintained lawns. His is a, a stylized meadow and some designed, uh, more structurally designed beds up against the house. Um, but it's very well established. And over the years, he's gotten so much joy from just observing the, the bird species that come and visit this space that this past year during the pandemic, he started inviting his neighbors to treat his, his landscape like a, like a national park and just feel free to wander and get lost there. That feels like, um, well, what's the word when you think of something as a, as a human, but I'd like to think that that's what, that's what the landscape is wanting to do, you know, yeah. to, to be observed and to be shared. I like it. Melissa, anything come to mind for you in a moment where you were working with a client and you had an epiphany or they had an epiphany and you were able to say, wow, this is it. This is why I do this. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's great when you feel the client's joy, like reflected back at you. Mm -hmm. Um, If they, end up, you know, bringing up um, an observation that they saw. So like an interesting insect or a bee or a butterfly or a plant that they're really excited about and and they're sharing that with you. I think that's um, a really great outcome. Um, A lot of the work that we do is in the suburban landscape. And it is once we finish a landscape, it's really in stark contrast to those other yards around um, the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a client who 
really wanted to transform his landscape with plants that were um, bright and um, more like nighttime blooming plants, which was definitely like a unique request for us. Um, And we worked with him to definitely kind of achieve achieve that sort of look through using natives. So thinking about light colored blooms and those that kind of radiate their colors in the evening hours and the golden hour. Um, and that worked out to be a really, a really nice um, immersive landscape for them. Did, uh, I, I don't know if, if there was any follow-up on that garden. I mean, was there a reason he wanted a nighttime garden? Was he trying to encourage moths or um or was it just a a kind of more emotive reason that he had for that but then following up that question with have you ever heard from him if he's had a lot of interesting interaction with more night uh pollinators or animals with that garden yeah that one um i don't think he necessarily came from it um in a way of wanting to attract moths but i'm sure that I'm sure that was an outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, They did spend a lot of time and especially evenings, I believe out on their deck that was adjacent to the yard space. So that was definitely an impetus for them to um, improve the landscape and invite more uh, critters in. This is Cultivating Place. Refugia is an ecological and native plant-driven design-build team in Pennsylvania. Four members of Refugia are with us today sharing more about their visions for what highly designed landscapes can do to bring people and ecological purpose together. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more with the Refugia team. So, thinking out loud, I'm still considering Esther's statements about what she wanted to do with her life and the advice she was given about working for plants. We should all be working for plants as big G gardeners, don't you think? And a little later, she said, as she was describing her early childhood roamings that led to her learning about and knowing and loving plants, Quote, I would go as far as I could to get lost and then make my way back home. End quote. And there's something about that. It's poetic and it's metaphorically compelling. And it mirrors quite perfectly any good amount of time out in the garden where we as gardeners lose ourselves in time and space and soil and plants, in the most immediate of communication and relationship with soil and plants and air and insects. And in so losing ourselves, we find our way back home, don't we? To self and place in proportion. We're back now to our conversation with Refugia and Jeff, Esther, Ronnie, and Melissa of the Refugia team, a landscape design and build group in Pennsylvania, 
The team is back with us now to share more about what it means to them and what it looks like for them to create functional landscapes which are ecologically beneficial, beautiful, and resilient. We have a client-turned-employee, Mary, who um, had uh, seen one of our funky French work trucks near one of our projects um, in the first year that we had started the business. And um, I think the truck just kind of like caught her eye and she's like, oh, that's interesting. So she called us up and she just um, purchased this, um, this old carriage house over near where we're located and um, didn't really know a whole lot about natives. And um, we struck up a really good relationship, just kind of like talking about the potential for the property, kind of explaining our, the way that we like to work and, and starting to develop the plant palette together. And um, she just really took to it and in, in, um, she'd come from a nursing background and was like starting to retire. Anyway, um, so we, we worked together quite a lot on it. She, she got super involved. She helped with the, the planting. She was really curious about the design process. Um, and then she actually approached us about seeing if she could like work with us periodically <laughs> uh, because she enjoyed the experience so much. She's ended up um, getting, uh, Esther, do you remember what the degree is called that she got? Yeah, from? She, uh, she got her ecological gardening certificate from Mount Cuba in Delaware. Nice. Wow. Okay. Good job. So her. that's just like really cool. I mean, that's like a really transformative story, right? And she, she still, we still help her out with her landscape. She, she helps us out. She was just working with us today. Um, but that's just a really cool, that's a really cool one that comes to mind. And, um, and it's really fun because we, we have these continual projects on the property, learning about what works there, what doesn't work. There's like major issues with soil compaction there. And she's actually been somebody who's been able to kind of influence us in terms of like, uh, getting better with like our um, like uh, site evaluations. Um, we definitely didn't realize like how poor the soil was there um, and how compacted it was. And it took a few years of like trying a few different things out um, in particular one area of the property to kind of get the soil to loosen up a little bit. And finally, like some of the new plants started to take and it's a real success story, but it was definitely that that's the one that comes to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah. And Ronnie, what about you? Anything come to mind? One thing comes to mind, and I did a planting for a client who had originally requested a privacy hedge. This particular client was an older gentleman who didn't quite have a, a great interest in gardening, yet he entrusted us to plant this privacy hedge. And the typical or conventional planting might be uh, a wall of evergreen arborvitae, and our planting selection was uh, a dynamic selection of evergreen and deciduous trees and shrubs, um, summer sweet, sweet bay magnolia, American holly, bayberry, junipers. Uh, implementing that planting, it, it gave that client a dynamic planting with full season interest, flowers, uh, berry set, aromatic foliage, wildlife forage and cover, and, realizing that we could implement this native planting uh, to achieve a client's goal of privacy hedge without using this sterile um, kind of boring arborvitae planting. It was, it was really enlightening and uh, 
to even see a client's reaction to that that planting after it was finished is continuously enlightening to to him uh, and to us every time we stop in. I love it. I love the metaphoric value in that story, and just you know, um, because he he thought he wanted a privacy hedge that would sort of isolate him, right? But you gave him a hedgerow, which is what he really wanted, and he actually invited his larger than human community in. And um, he might have gotten privacy in one way, but he got a lot of community in another way, which is just, I love that. Yay. And that leads us to one of the things that I'm just so excited for you to share with listeners. And that is the way you have taken each of these, you know, relational successes and wins and and growth marks, growth rings in your individual clients, and you have started to weave them together into your Greenways program. And I am not sure of uh, who would like to speak to this first, or if each of you had would have something to say about it. Um, I have a thought on it. Great. I have a thought about it because I return again and again to these two, our landscapes, um, every few weeks and inevitably and especially this year I saw a lot of a lot of people at home um, the ecological greenway network we've been building it for years um, but I think it really it feels really important now um, having grown out of a desire to express connectivity and it lets people um, it lets people know where they are in relation to other, other folks and other um, wildlife sanctuary spaces that um, that have similar goals to increase biodiversity and uh, just make things more green and full of life. It's also it's a great place to consider details about pollinator resources and scientific metrics. Like a lot of other networks, it looks like a mycelial network, and it's hard not to to make that reference um, because I think it's always wise to look to natural processes and um, patterns for ideas about living more harmoniously. It's fun to see them all laid out in that way. Earlier, Jeff described the the look of the map as you know a night sky. Uh, what did how did you describe it Jeff a night sky without light pollution um and I see it as a as a as a network network through which plants are communicating and and pollinators traveling yeah um so maybe Jeff why don't you actually define and uh explain what is what is the Greenway project sure so we wanted to kind of increase the visibility and, and, and help people, especially like pedestrians, just walking around our area to know what they're looking at. So we just created these very simple Greenway Network signs um, that let people know that they're looking at a native landscape. And um, as we complete a project, we always put one of these little signs up and, um, and we're now working with a GIS specialist to, to have it, um, to put it onto a, um, into a web app, um, which is now up on our website. So you can like look up in our area, you can type in your, um, 
your uh, zip code and see how many of our properties are, uh, are in your area. And in Norberth, um, and I didn't even know this, but we have, I was able to search on like a five mile radius around our office. We have over 66 properties and um, we've created these overlays on the GIS map um, that, um, that show an overlay of, of 400 meters, which is an average for um, how pollinators, how far pollinators travel um, for forage. Um, so it's really neat. It kind of shows this, it, it shows literally a network of kind of greenway spaces um, and it's highlighted by park areas as well. And we just wanted to create again, um, to circle back to what I'd said earlier, we want this to just be something that feels really like approachable and attainable for people and, and also has like a certain playfulness. So it's fun to see, like to create these visual representations for the impact of our work as well. As soon as you kind of see this, this like constellation, if you will, of, of like properties that literally connected together um, in, in either the flight path of, of bumblebees or whatever we'll say in a sense. It's, uh, it's neat, it makes you uh, excited, I think. And, and we've gotten a lot of like um, really good feedback from that because we're, we're just subtly educating people as to what they're looking at without being too heavy handed and just getting them excited that this is something, hey, this is something you can do. Um, we've got like four properties on one street, <laughs> like small street. And it's just really cool to see how we're developing these corridors, if you will, um, uh, of habitat. If you had one piece of advice for another person out there, like getting out of college or getting out of the military or getting out of AmeriCorps or leaving their, you know, lifelong career and going into retirement, but still wanting to, to do something like this with the remainder of their time here, what would your piece of advice be to them uh, in, in your exact sort of part of this work? And let's start with you, Ronnie. The first thing that comes to mind is, is to just get out there and, and do it. I think, I think when people ask about planting a tree, they always say, you know, the best time to plant a tree was five years ago and the next best time is today. And so I kind of take that advice uh, with how I, I guess maybe I live my life and um, I want my, my legacy to be something that brings happiness to people and makes the earth a better place ultimately. Okay. And Melissa. I would echo Ronnie. I would echo Ronnie's sentiment a bit um, that it's really easy to just start small, and I think a lot of my knowledge on native plants has come through simple observation, and whether or not that's in the woods or in my own garden, where I've planted, you know, two or three plants and seeing how they act throughout the seasons. Um, a lot can be learned just from being in your own backyard and starting with one or two native plants. Uh, Esther, I think that. Um, maybe I'll answer that after Jeff. Jeff, do you have any thoughts? Sure. Um, maybe to synthesize this a little bit. Um, what's interesting about um, our company is that all of us have multidisciplinary backgrounds. Um, none of us like just strictly went to school like immediately to, you know, for, for, um, landscape design or horticulture. It was something that was, um, we were affected along the way somewhere. 
And I think what's really interesting about that is that um, there's, there's really no barrier to entry other than, uh, than real interest and, and, and feeling that connection. Um, and, and from there, I mean, it's, you know, um, a lot of us are self-taught to a certain extent, and then we, we educate ourselves um, just by having a tangible relationship with uh, the landscapes that we work in and the more the landscapes that we design and you learn from that. It's like, there's tons of trial and error. Um, but you come out of it. Like we're, we're kind of like, you know, forging our own path here because there's, there's not a whole lot of us doing it right. and maybe doing it um, in the kind of uh, way that we're trying to do it. Like, you know, we're trying to really transform a property and um, we want it to be, have as much ecological value as possible, but also have like high, higher design sense and also a living space that makes it feel like a sanctuary. And I think that that's like the exciting part here is that there's like, there's no limits. Um, you, you can create these really dynamic spaces that you're also sharing with the, the natural world around you, but that also has, you know, you can put in a really, a really um, beautiful kind of aesthetically pleasing, uh, like an outdoor kitchen or, or deck or patio or something and tuck it into a nook of the landscape where it's a place that you can go to kind of, you know, calm down at the end of the day or just have like a quiet place to go to like there. Um, but you're still surrounded by this, this sense of wilderness too. And, and that's like, I think the magic of it. So when I say there's no barriers to entry, it's like, a, um, I think our client Mary is a really great example of that. It's just someone who like got bugged for it and, uh, you know, and just followed it, um, you know, going into her 60s. And it's really, it's really cool. And, um, and I think we all kind of share that as, as, a, as a team. Um, we came to this with a certain love and a certain, like, it was like, I want to call it a calling, but it is of sorts. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's my, my curiosity is, um, is definitely getting engaged, no matter what's no matter what's on my mind, I, there's always, you know, just being a thinking person, there's always so many, are always so many thoughts um, or buzzes in the background kind of vying for your attention, but there's something immeasurably valuable about just letting all of that kind of slip to the side to, and take a moment to, um, yeah, look at a golden red really closely and see um, or see a bee sleeping in Penstem in the morning. That's really, really sweet to have, <laughs> yeah, to have, to have an experience like that um, can be just such a, such a powerful tool for, for discovering, you know, self-discovery and, um, and putting aside the, the chaos of the day kind of to, to observe um, again, just, just harmony in nature and so many, so many good lessons, so many brutal lessons too, even um, about change and uh, and resilience. Before we close, is there anything any of you would like to add about the importance of your work? So this is a little bit random, but um, one of the challenges that we have occasionally is that, you know, we, we do this every day for work and, um, at least part of my creative process, I have to get excited about something. I have to feel, I always look for a connection to the project and also to like kind of challenge myself. And I think we, we kind of all do that in our own, 
various ways to like just kind of breathe a certain energy into what we're doing. Um, and so I just preface this by saying like I had to come up with this concept for, um, for the flower show this year. And I was trying to, uh, for the Philadelphia flower show, I was trying to think about like, it's the, the theme this year is habitat, which is awesome that they're, they're going in that direction with it. And, um, and I was just like, how can we, 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 we got one of the more, um, like the larger spaces this year, which is really exciting. I was like, what can we do that kind of like encapsulates what we do, right? And also kind of um, shows this more kind of, I don't want to just call it forward thinking because that, that's not really what it is, but it's, you know, just this way of kind of approaching a landscape in a way that's kind of like, it does back to our name, like create a refuge, kind of create this kind of like um, this little functional space um, and so we're, we're calling it the sanctuarium and, uh, and, but I, I was having a hard time connecting to it for some reason. And so, um, sometimes I write in order to kind of try to get at the essence of something. And I had just written this, this very short poem about, um, like thinking about my kids playing in, in our backyard. Um, so if you don't mind me reciting it, it's, it's only four lines. I don't mind one bit. Okay. <laughs> um, the wing beats that move the grass blades that tickle the feet of the child playing in the sun. And that was just kind of like, I, I just had to write something like that to kind of make this little uh, creative bubble for myself to live in, to get, to, to start to concept our, our idea for the, for the flower show. And um, I just wanted to share that because I think we all in our kind of our own creative ways find these, these connections to what we do and they're deep. You know, I think we, you know, for as much as it's a business, it's also something that's just like so unbelievably rewarding for as much as it is like all the really like hard work and energy that we put into this. And, um, and it, that, I think that that translates not to just to inspiring or aspiring gardeners and designers but also to to homeowners alike that there's just it there is a difference um you know we've all been through the like the more traditional landscaping route and there's nothing wrong with that at all but there's this there's just like you, this deep connection that forms um around this work and I, I think that's like the most kind of exciting and um inspiring part of it um and it's just so in, incredibly grounding and humbling at the same time Thank you very, very much. And um, yeah, thank you all for being guests on the program today. I'm uh, really honored to share your your work and your uh, personal passion for it uh, with listeners. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thanks. It was fun to reflect. Just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a team of plant people known as Refugia is growing connection among places and people with their beautifully designed native plant gardens. Jeff Lawrence is founder, Esther Scanlon is the stewardship manager, Ronnie Ludwig is the lead project manager, and Melissa Nays is Refugia's lead landscape designer and greenhouse manager. They joined us today from their home and workplaces in Narbeth, Pennsylvania. 
Make sure to look for Refugia's garden design for this year's Philadelphia Flower Show, which is moved from their traditional winter inside location to summer outside location for the first time in history. The show runs from June 5th to June 13th. And join us again next week when we look forward to a floral celebration on the West Coast when we're joined by Deborah Prinsing, founder of the Slow Flowers Society and the heart behind the in-person Slow Flowers Summit being held this year at the Filoli House and Garden in California in late June. Join us next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, and the podcast and its outreach is listener-supported over at cultivatingplace.com. To see many images of the beautifully designed and connected refugia landscapes, including images of their sanctuarium garden design for the 2021 Philadelphia Flower Show, check out this week's show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. Our producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.